We'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 this morning, and I've titled this message, Whatever It Takes. There was a young man who had the love of his life, and he wrote her a letter, and he said, you know, I love you so much. I would climb the highest mountains and swim the deepest seas. I would cross the hottest deserts in the world just to get to you, and I'll see you tonight, unless it rains. <laughs> Let me say that um, the, the praise team, the worship team, did not know what I was going to be preaching on this morning, and um, I just found out yesterday afternoon what I was going to be preaching on as I went and sought God's, God's will, <laughs> um, but God always brings together the right things in the right place at the right time. And I believe the, the worship and the songs that we have sung uh, have placed us right where we need to be to hear the message that God has for all of us, for myself as well as for you. Our men's retreat that we had Thursday evening and Friday and Saturday morning up at Inlow uh, Bible Camp was, uh, was a theme of love in action. And we talked about love and action based on the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, Brother Jim brought a teaching on loving God, that relationship with him. Uh, Michael Summers brought a teaching on how to love horizontally, brother to brother. And then I was tasked with applying those things in our home, in our church, in our community, and in the world. And it was a wonderful retreat in many respects because it challenged us in our walk with Christ and it also gave us opportunity to get to know one another because as you know, in a, a group like this, it's people you see and you acknowledge and you kind of know who they are, but you don't get to sit down and visit with them. And, and I, I got to, to meet some guys uh, that I'm so impressed with and get to know more about them and understand them and them get to know a little bit more about me and so it was a great time for us and uh, I just uh, pray that we'll have and there'll be more opportunities for that to happen and that when you get an opportunity to be a part of something like that I pray that you will do so. Uh, we are going to talk about whatever it takes but we're kind of like the young man with writing a letter to his girlfriend God, I'll do anything you want me to do, and whatever it takes for me to do it, I'll, I'll climb the highest mountains, swim the deepest seas, and walk the highest deserts. But if something else comes up, I may not be there. We make commitments when we're in the context of a worship service or a Bible study or a small group, and sometimes even in our personal quiet times. But when the rubber hits the road, sometimes we're not quite willing to do that. Well, the Apostle Paul made a commitment to the Lord. After he uh, met Jesus on the Damascus Road, his life went from being a persecutor of the church to a proclaimer of the gospel. And he poured everything into that. And he would do whatever it takes to get the message out to any person, in any place, in any circumstance, in any time, and he was willing to do and suffer for that if that's what was required of him. If you look at your Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I want to read verses 19 through 23. And let me say again that um, 
Anytime we, we come into a context of a Bible study retreat setting and worship and hearing message, um, it should impact us. And us who are preaching and us who are teaching and us who are listening, and hopefully you'll listen and hear and do what God has called you to do. And he calls each of you to be his ambassadors and to proclaim the good news, but we don't always get that done. We always sometimes have reasons why we think we can't do it or shouldn't be able to do it, but God does not accept those reasons. Listen to what Paul writes here to the church at Corinth. He says, though I, am in, though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Now, when we see that term win, it really means to gain is how it could be translated. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Paul did not have an excuse for not doing what God had called him to do. He was willing to give up his liberty in Christ for the sake of getting the gospel message to every person and in the context here, every group that he would encounter. And we're gonna talk about some things related to that. Sometimes we just don't wanna pay the price. We don't wanna make the sacrifice. In White Oaks, New Mexico, which is just outside of Carrizozo, that was a mining town. It had 3,000 to 4,000 people living in it at one time. And uh, the railroad that had been brought down from Kansas City to Santa Rosa had gotten that far, and it had come up from El Paso to Alamogordo, but there was still that space between Alamogordo and Santa Rosa that needed the railroad. And the best route for that to go was right by White Oaks. And so the uh, engineers went and they talked to them and they said, you know, we need about uh, this, these many acres on the west side of White Oaks so that we can put the rail line in and put a depot and some shops. And the people of White Oaks said, you know, um, you just want us to give it to you. And they said, yes, we'd like you to give us this property. And they said, well, this is the only way the railroad can go. So no, we don't want to give it to you. We want you to pay for it. And so the engineers went back and they started doing some research and they discovered if they move about eight miles west, they can run the same line without making too many adjustments, which is exactly what they did. Carrizozo was born out of that decision. And White Oaks finally pretty much disappeared and became a goat's town. Because the people were wanting something for themselves and not willing to sacrifice for what would benefit them. And sometimes we do the same thing in our life, and sometimes churches do that. They're not willing to make the, pay the cost or give up some things in order to gain something that would be beneficial for the kingdom of God. 
Paul does not do that here, and we should not do it in our own lives. And there's a number of things that are so important in this passage that I want to be able to share with you this morning so that we can apply it to our lives and to our church. Paul was one who was transformed and was willing in that transformation to put all of the benefits and all of the knowledge that he had had from the past into serving Christ. Paul said this in, in, uh, in his own life, that he was willing to give those things up, to sacrifice those things for the sake of the gospel. And uh, I think we should have that same kind of commitment as well. Paul was ready to give it up. Now, our church has a purpose, a vision, and a mission. And I know you notice it when you walk by the, the screens out here in the hallway and in the entryway. But, but if you don't know, the purpose of Hoffmantown is to know, love, and proclaim Christ. The vision for Hoffmantown is aligned with Christ, defined by his love and united in his work. And the mission for the church is love Christ, loving others, and fulfilling his great commission. Notice, everything is Christ-centered. And it's centered on the mission that he has given us. And he has placed us uniquely in this community to do that very thing. And we have got to embrace that. And we, have, we, we really need to endorse that and be a part of it. So let me share some things from this passage that I, I hope will challenge you and, and help all of us to accomplish those three things. The first thing is Paul's declaration. Now he makes two statements here that seem to be in contrast with each other, but they really are not. First he says, though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone. So on one hand he's saying, I am free, no one owns me. But then I make myself a slave to everyone. There are a lot of times in our walk with Christ where uh, we say, you know, I'm, I'm okay with doing this, but I'm not willing to, to give myself to it. I, I'm not willing to go quite that far. I'm not willing to, to make a declaration to say, Lord, whatever it is, however it is, and whatever it is you send me to do, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to go do everything I possibly can to accomplish it. Whatever it takes, God, for you to work in me and through me in this community, I want to do that without excuse. Paul was free in Christ, but he made him a, himself a slave to everyone else. And that word, uh, that phrase, I make myself a slave, is really two words, which means I enslave myself to that. It's a word that's used of the 400-year experience of Israel in Egypt in Acts chapter 7. It's a word used of the marriage bond in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, and it's used of the Christian's new relationship to righteousness in Romans chapter 6. It's a high level of submission and commitment that Paul was making here. Paul believed in freedom for those who were in Christ in Romans chapter 6 uh, verse 15. Uh, Paul writes about that to the Roman church as well. He says, What then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or, or, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Righteousness. 
But thanks be to God that you used to be slaves to sin. You wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have become set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. In other words, we give ourselves to Jesus as Savior. He is our Savior, but he also is our Lord. And we become slaves of his. And we embrace that. And, and we, we focus on how we can best serve others in our community. Paul then again in, in uh, chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, um, as he's talking about that, let me go to chapter 10 because there's a passage I want to touch on real quick in verse 23 and 24. 10, 23, and 24 is this. Paul says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek his own good, but the good of others. Now, here's how that comes together. Uh, Paul met Christ. His life was transformed. He became a missionary to the Gentiles. And he was willing to do whatever it took because he wanted to look out for the welfare of others. He wanted to embrace the Jews. He wanted to embrace those who were under the law. He wanted to embrace those who were weak in the faith. He wanted to embrace everyone that he could so that they could come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And he was willing to do whatever it took. In 1 Peter 2, 16 and 17, Peter writes, Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God and honor the king. When we submit ourselves to Christ, we submit ourselves to his word and his direction in our life. And that means when God moves and he's directing us or uh, sending us somewhere or giving us a mandate like he does in the Great Commission as well as in the Great Commandment that we should make ourselves servants of his and without question go do what he has called us to do. Paul's goal was to win as many as possible. He was on mission. He desired that others would know Christ's love. He wanted others to experience the saving grace of his forgiveness. Here's some questions for you today as we consider missions and ministry in our own life. What is your life goal as a child of God? The Bible tells us that we were once, were once in darkness, but now we're in the light. That the old man is past, the new man has been created. That God has called us to a purpose for him, not ourselves. And the question is, what do I do with that? What am I going to do with what God has given me? What goals has he given me in my life? Well, let me tell you some things. God's goals for you are probably different than your own goals. Sometimes we have a goal of, of doing certain things in certain ways and certain times to certain people. But under Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, our goal becomes one thing, to take the good news of Jesus Christ to a lost world. And that means in whatever community we're in, in whatever group we need to talk to, in whatever religious affiliation somebody has or false beliefs, we still have the mandate to go out and proclaim the good news. And that means that we have to make some sacrifices. And the best way to begin to make a sacrifice to fulfill what God has called you to do is up front. When you say, Lord, I am committing myself to do whatever it takes 
to fulfill the calling you have given me and the mission you have given us as a church. You remember Joshua challenged uh, the uh, tribes and the leaders of Israel in Joshua chapter 24. He said, choose today who you will serve, either the gods on the other side of the river or the gods in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As I shared yesterday in, in our teaching at the retreat, we have that posted in our house. We have pictures of it. It may be mounted on your front door. Uh, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And if anything else, it should be a conviction to us. It shouldn't be a decoration. It should be a declaration of what we truly believe and do. If we are going to follow Christ, if he is going to be Lord of our life, then we put away all the excuses and all the reasons why we can't do what he called us to do so that we can get busy doing what we're supposed to do for him. Don't just post things as decorations that deal with scripture. Make them declarations of what you truly believe and live out in your life. That's what Paul was basically doing here. He made a declaration. He made himself a slave in order to serve Christ. He gave up some freedoms so that Christ could work in and through him. So the question again, to what have you enslaved yourself? And is it a Christ-centered decision? Because if it's not, reevaluate that. The second thing I want to talk about here is Paul's demographic. Now, we do lots of demographics when we're looking at churches and church planting. Uh, we, we have all the statistics. Uh, we can go to a data site and download how many people live in a house, how much a house costs, what their ethnicity is, what their ages are, um, all kinds of things. I mean, you can get overrun with data when you start looking at demographics. But Paul basically boils it down to just a few things here, very specifically. And he focuses on those that he was engaging in already. He said to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. Now, that doesn't mean that, that uh, he was going to the temple and making sacrifices because that sacrifice was made once for all for G through Jesus Christ. He fulfilled all the law. But when Paul was with the Jews, he respected some of the things that they did. And if it meant that he would be there with them on a Sabbath or if he didn't eat some things that maybe they didn't want to eat, if he could be in context with them, he was willing to do that in order to connect with them and build relationships with them so that they would hear him. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I am myself and not under the law, so is the windows under the law. Again, he's making himself available, and he's doing everything he can up to a point to connect with them, to teach them, to help understand them, and bring them to saving knowledge of Christ. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law so as to win those not having the law. Again, we see how Paul was trying to relate to the community and to the people around him so that he could engage them and so that they would hear him, so that they would understand him and come to a knowledge of faith. And then his summary statement here is that I have become all things to all means so that by all possible means I might save some. Paul did not build barriers. He built bridges. 
He doesn't have a preconceived idea and say, well, I know what, what they're doing over here and you know, I'm just not gonna get involved in that or I'm not gonna associate with them. That wasn't his heart at all. Paul would do whatever it takes to bring them to Christ, to help them understand about God's love for them through Jesus. There are three areas. The first, the Jews who were still under the law. The, the second group were those without the law. And the third group were those that were weak, those unable to lock into any system of belief or those who were even weak and struggling with the concepts. Paul worked with them on their level without judging them. That's why he was able to say what he did. He's all things to all men, it's so that by all possible means, he might win some. Lee Strobel uh, wrote a book uh, many years ago, and the book title was Inside the Mind of Unchurched Harry and Mary. And you may remember that Lee Strobel was an award-winning journalist with the Chicago uh, Tribune. Uh, he came to Christ uh, at Willow Creek Church in Chicago. His wife had started going and got into a Bible study. He was an atheist, uh, agnostic kind of a guy, and Finally, he went with her one Sunday and God began to work in his life. He surrendered himself to Jesus Christ. Uh, he became part of that church. He became a teacher, an apologist, and, uh, and he understands how lost people think and how unbelieving people think. Now listen to what he says about what's inside the unbeliever's mind or the unchurched mind. He said the believer has rejected, we, we believe the, the unbeliever has rejected church but that doesn't necessarily mean they've rejected God. The believer is morally adrift, but he secretly wants an anchor. The unbeliever resists rules, but responds to reason. The unbeliever doesn't understand Christianity, but he is also ignorant about what he claims to believe in himself. The believer, unbeliever has legitimate questions about spiritual matters, but he doesn't expect answers from Christians. The unbeliever doesn't ask, is Christianity true? Often he is asking, does Christianity work? The unbeliever doesn't just want to know something, he wants to experience it. The unbeliever doesn't want to be somebody's project, but he would like to be somebody's friend. Before I came to Christ, <clears throat> after Trudy and I were married, and I was, I was uh, very far from anything to do with being a believer, uh, but I went to uh, her church, which was First Baptist Bosque Farms, and uh, I walked out of that place that Sunday morning, and I, I swore to her I'd never walk in a Baptist church again. Uh. <laughs> but here's why. I felt, and it wasn't because of them, this is what I sensed. I felt like I was just a trophy that they were trying to put on the shelf. I didn't, I didn't feel that welcomed. I felt, uh, you know, very uncomfortable. I didn't want to be, uh, have somebody come in and change me and make them to be what they wanted. And I just walked out and I thought, I'll never do this again. And it wasn't until our first daughter was born when I looked at the little baby at Balboa Naval Hospital and I thought, we can't live the way we are living. There's got to be a better way. And that began my search. Ultimately, I ended up back at First Bosky Farms and surrendered my life to Christ in 1978. Never give an indication 
to somebody who is a non-believer that they're a trophy, that you're trying to pick, that you're trying to get in, uh, that, that you're doing it for yourself. Listen, all of our ministry and all of our heart with the gospel is not for us. It's not for this church. It's for the kingdom of God to bring them into a right relationship, to help them understand the love and the grace and the mercy that our Lord gives us as we trust in him by faith. Unbelievers are real people, but they're real people that we need to get involved with in every different context. Lee stated this. He said, we run the risk of repelling the unbeliever unless he sees in our churches the kind of authentic community honest accountability, freely offered forgiveness, and mutual care that Scripture calls for. We can't just put on the front. They want to really believe that when we're talking to them, that in our heart of hearts, we care about them, that we have a compassion for them. I shared yesterday, as we were talking about the walk, walking in love, how we involve ourselves in community. We have a passion. We have a passion for the gospel because the gospel is what sets men free from their sins. And that passion needs to have a purpose. And that purpose is to make disciples of all nations. But to do that, we need to have a presence. And a presence is where you put yourself in places where you build relationships. And it, when you're in that presence, state, whatever it is, whatever organization, whatever it might be in community, you have to participate. Now, I'm not talking about going into a bar and sitting down and, you know, just having a few drinks to win somebody to Christ. But in our community, we have got to engage community. We have got to not only be present, but we need to participate in things that are good for the community. Because when we do that, we are become accepted. When they see our heart, when they see that we're there not for ourselves, but for the benefit of them and the community we live in, it offers us the opportunity then to have a voice. And there's a trust relationship where they will hear us. They may not believe us. They may not accept what we're saying. But at least we have a way to open up and share the love of Christ with them. And that may take a long time to see benefit from that. But we have to be there. We have to get involved in community. We have to seek out those places where our giftedness and our skills can be used with others in our community so we can build relationships with those people who don't know Christ. And as we build relationships, that's when God begins to open up the heart and the communication happens and they listen. And then God can draw those to himself who will be saved. People in our communities don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. We cannot isolate ourselves. We have got to engage community and intentionally and strategically find ways to get involved with those around us so that we will have the voice that we need to have to share the good news of Jesus Christ. The third thing, go out with, with a Christ-centered determination. Notice in our passage that Paul repeats for emphasis the words to win. Five times he says this. Why did he do that? Paul understood the position of those who were lost. I can look back at my life and I know where I was before Christ. 
I really like to forget a lot of that, probably like you do. But I know where I came from. I know what I was like. I know what Christ did in my life. I know where he has me today. And there's a great contrast between the two. We have to understand that the natural world, the people in the world, and the world itself will by nature only do what it can do. It's not going to act as Christians. It doesn't have the capacity. Its nature doesn't allow it because it's a sinful nature. It's a dark nature. But through the light of Christ, that nature changes. We become new creations. We have to understand where they're at and not judge them, but engage them with the good news that can change their heart. The second thing is Paul understood the hopelessness of the lost. People are seeking for answers to a lot of things today, but they're seeking them in the wrong places, in the wrong way. There's only one truth. There's only one answer to the plight of the world. There's only one answer to all the war and all the anger and all the lawlessness and all the sinfulness, and that's through Jesus Christ. And the only way the world's going to know about Jesus Christ is if we share that with them, but it cannot just be words. It has got to be authentically demonstrated to them through relationship building. It's kind of like saying, I'm a believer. Jesus loves you. I have that on the wall up here. I want you to believe it. Well, listen, folks, there's a lot of reasons why our lost world doesn't believe us anymore. Because we have not really reflected the true heart of Jesus Christ in our community. Like we say we should and like we know we should do. They see it. They see it in context. Your neighbor sees you. How do you act like Christ in your neighborhood? What does your neighbor hear? What do they see in your actions and interactions with your family? with your co-workers, with people out in community and uh, activities? What do they see about you at the restaurant? What do they see about you as, as you're getting involved in organizations? How do you reflect Christ? You see, as we reflect Christ in the way he truly is, then they'll start to believe the words of truth that we say. But if we're saying one thing and we're doing another, that's why we hear so often, well, church is full of hypocrites. Well, yeah, none of us are going to be perfect. We're going to fight that battle each and every day. But if our heart is set to do whatever it takes for the gospel's sake, then we will align ourselves with Christ. We will make the sacrifices that need to be made. We'll allow the Spirit of God to work in us and change our hearts. We'll tear down the walls that are hindering the fruit of the Spirit from working through us. Love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. We'll let the Spirit do it. You all have it. You have the Spirit of God. All those things are present in you. You have to let them out and let the love of Christ truly pour out of you into someone else with Jesus' heart of compassion for them. There's a big difference when you tell somebody, you know, I, I really care about you when there's tears in your eyes because you're broken about their eternal state. It makes a huge, huge impact in opening up a door. But if there's nothing different in our life that reflect the words that we're speaking, then we're just treading water. Paul also understood the desire of God. 
2 Peter 3.9 says that God desires that none should perish, but every person come to repentance. Every person come to repentance. Is that our heart? When we look at those around us and we see all the evil in the world and we see those doing bad things, is our heart really, they need to come to repentance. God loves them. God wants them in his kingdom. No matter how bad they are, no matter how liberal they are, no matter, no matter what, when we look at people, we have to see them through the eyes of Jesus. I'm not looking at the exterior, and I'm not going to look at their actions. I'm going to look at their heart. Are they a child of the King of kings and Lord of lords or not? And if they're not, then my target should be, I want to show them the compassion of Christ. I want to bring them to faith in Christ through sharing the gospel. And I want to see God transform their life so that they have hope and promise, joy and peace that I have. Paul also understood the solution God provided through Jesus Christ. And there's only one way. There's only one truth. Not many voices, not lots of truths. There's only one path. It's a narrow path. It's not a wide path. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. But folks, if we don't have the love of Jesus in our heart, as we're sharing the gospel message and as we're interacting with community, then the Bible says we're just tinkling brass and sounding cymbals. And I guarantee you the world can see through our, into our hearts when we're out there trying to share with them. We have to pray for God to break our hearts in brokenness over the loss. Paul actually even prayed for those uh, in Rome, uh, for the Jews himself, for Israel. He said, I would just give up my salvation if they would come to faith. I don't know that we've gotten that broken in our heart. We don't get that broken about a neighbor. Sometimes we don't get that broken about a family member. We've got to come to brokenness. Brokenness for those who are lost. Brokenness for the, the things that, that we haven't done because we haven't made the sacrifices and we haven't had the, the mindset to say, Lord, whatever it takes, we will do. Whatever it takes we will do. Change me and then help me go out and engage community. We want to see things change in community. That's the way it's going to happen. We have a mission and we have a ministry that reaches to all people in all situations and all backgrounds. Through your discovering of your ministry, both within the body of Christ and outside in the community, you can fulfill God's calling and purpose in reaching others for Jesus Christ. So really, the bottom line is this. Are you willing to have a decoration on the wall that states some things about Scripture? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and be happy with that. Or are you willing to make a declaration, whether you have a Scripture mounted on your wall or not, that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and do whatever it takes to reach those in my home, in my neighborhood, in my community, in my city, in my state, in our nation, and in our world. And I guarantee you, every single one of us who are Christ followers have a way to do that if we will just do it. Are you willing to make the, the case? Are you willing to take a stand? Are you willing to put aside all the reasons and not just say, climb mountains, swim deep seas, and go over hot deserts unless it rains. 
Are you willing to say, Lord, I'm willing to do whatever it takes without excuse or anything else. You call me, you send me, I will go. And I will seek to honor you and proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ for your kingdom purpose and your glory and honor alone. Are you there? Maybe this morning you're here and you've never trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord. God loves you with a love that goes way beyond what we can measure. He sent his own son to die on a cross for you, for you, to bring you into his kingdom, into his family, and give you the promise of eternal life. He paid a price for your sin that you could never pay in and of yourself. And God says to us that if we just agree with him that we're sinners, that we do things wrong, God, I agree, I know I'm a sinner, I know I'm not doing what I should. And if we desire in our heart to turn from our way to follow his way in repentance and say, Lord, I believe what Jesus did on the cross and through the resurrection uh, from the grave that I will be your child. I surrender myself to that. I accept your free gift of grace. Forgive me and give me everlasting life. And you know what? He will do it. And your life will be transformed. And then you become an ambassador of his a servant of his, and you get to partake in the process of proclaiming his name throughout the earth. Maybe you need to do that this morning. We're going to close here just real briefly. And if, if you feel that in your heart, uh, I want you to be able to pray. And if, if you can pray right where you're at in your own words, acknowledging sin, repenting of it, believing in Jesus, you do that. If you need to come down and talk to some of us down here uh, during the time of response or after service, you find one of us, uh, somebody in this church, one of the ushers, one of the elders, somebody, and you just say, man, I, I want to know more. I want to receive Christ, and we will pray with you. And maybe, believer church member you just need to pray and say Lord whatever it takes for me to whatever you want me to do whatever it takes I'm going to commit myself to do that and make it real and then follow through with your commitment Father you are such a loving God and such a graceful God and such a powerful God and such a patient God because, Lord, I think in each of our lives, I know in mine as well as in our life as a body of believers, that there's so much more that could be done, not in our works, not in our effort or strength, but in your power to engage our community, to build relationships, to share the gospel with those who are without hope in the world, those who will perish and be separated from you for eternity if they do not know the love of Jesus Christ and receive salvation. Help us to commit ourselves to your task for your purpose and for your glory above all things. We love you and we thank you for what you do for us and how you direct us and how you love us and send us. Help us be obedient children. Help us to make ourselves slaves to the gospel message so that others will come to know Jesus. And I pray it in Jesus' name. With your head bows, just for a brief moment, I'd just like for you to take your personal time right where you're sitting and just spend a moment with Lord and say, Lord, I've heard your message. This is how I want to respond to it. And you and, and, and God do some business right here so that when you walk out of this place this morning, 
you will not leave the same way that you came in. Take just a moment of prayer. Father, we sang that song, I Believe. We can sing the song with our heart. Let us take that which we truly believe and go out, if we really believe it, and share it with those who haven't believed yet. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace and mercy. And thank you for the opportunity to represent you well in our community. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.